0: This, uh, this is Joe
1: Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the London, the London, London is
0: Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, the London is Blue podcast and it is another Matt Law Update, one of your hosts, Dan, here. No Nick, no Brandon, just me and Matt kicking it. Matt fresh off of vacation, much fresher than many of the Chelsea players at the moment. And uh, back, rested, ready. How are you feeling, Matt?
1: Yeah, good, good, good. Like you say, back, rested, ready. Kind of on the countdown to the World Cup now, probably like a lot of people are. Um, and yeah, I was on my flight while uh, while Chelsea were getting trounced by brighton so that was a surprise when i switched my phone back on when we landed for sure
0: well probably not the only surprise but i think for those who don't know you are going to be actually going to the world cup and covering the yes. england squad correct
1: yeah yep, yeah, yeah i'm there for the full five weeks uh, so even if england go home early i'm not going home early um but predominantly to start with i'm i'm just with england and then we'll see how things go with england and if they go home early i'll, I'll switch to another nation maybe but um but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I wasn't looking forward to it because obviously everything around Qatar and I felt a little bit strangely about it. But as it creeps upon me, there are elements, I wouldn't say I'm still fully looking forward to it because I'm very wary about a lot of it. Um, but now, football-wise, there are elements I'm starting to, to look forward to. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's two weeks. We're, we're talking Monday, it's two weeks tomorrow when I make my way out there. <sighs>
0: Well, we can't wait to obviously hear about how your your time goes over there. Obviously, to the point you made, lots of concerns about the humanitarian rights that have kind of maybe been violated in the preparation up to this World Cup. And then in addition, just the uh, fans not being able to maybe be themselves fully and how they would attend these matches, too, that are huge concerns looming over this. Uh, but let's talk about some Chelsea stuff, because uh, that's what we're going to get into here today, but we'll talk about World Cup stuff uh, when, when you're over there. Um, but we're going to jump into everything going on with Chelsea, and we'll just get right into the sporting team taking shape. You go on vacation, you go on holiday, and then Todd Bowley says, I'm going to go start hiring some people. So that's uh, that's where we're at. we got Lauren Stewart joining. We've got Joe Shields joining. What are you understanding about what their roles look like? you know, we're getting information about focusing on football globally. We're talking about co-directors of recruitment and talent. So there's a lot of titles. There's a lot of areas of responsibility. And we're all, I think, looking to see how it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, this story did slightly interrupt my holiday for just very, very short period last week, which Chelsea have a habit of doing. Um, this, the news on Lawrence Stewart broke while I was abroad. And then actually I, I got some messages and I ended up writing a story about the fact that they would um made an approach for Paul Wynn Stanley at Brighton as well. So it, it wasn't too bad. I probably only had to do sort of 45 minutes of proper workout on my holiday, but it did interrupt it. So I have actually, I had planned to switch off fully and then decided that that was probably a bad idea as the recruitment team started to come together. So I, have fo- I've, I obviously wrote about it a little bit and I've followed it a little bit and I have spoken to a few people as well because I wanted to come back with an idea of how this shakes down. So it is confusing. Um... I think the big the big takeaway for me at the moment is to i'm learning to not get too hung up on job titles at the moment, so what we currently have is you currently have Lawrence Stewart who has come in and been given the technical director title, but albeit technical director of chelsea global uh that's that's going to be a key element, I think because we're going to have um Christopher Vivell confirmed maybe this week, if not this week, fairly soon, he too could even be called technical director, but his his job will essentially be what we probably traditionally more consider a, a club technical director to take an overarching view of the club. Lawrence Stewart obviously has a lot of expertise in multi club modeling uh, through his career, and his technical director role is going to focus more around that multi-club model and developing that multi-club, multi-club model and managing it. Um, and then below him, we, we have Joe Shields now confirmed as one of the, co, the co, uh, co-directors of recruitment or something like that.
0: Co-director of recruitment and talent.
1: Correct, um, which would suggest very much that Paul Wynn Stanley, when he is confirmed and, and dotted, will be the other co director of, of recruitment and talent and then of course you have Kyle McCauley who who came in with Graham Potter so it's interesting because the plan when when Bowley and Clear Lake first took this on and first looked at what they were going to do the plan was very much to go for a very high profile big sort of technical stroke sporting director you know people like Michael Edwards was spoken to other people were spoken to some quite big names around the globe I think Had Michael Edwards have been able to or wanted to do it at the time, I think they'd have stuck to that structure, much more of a traditional structure, albeit he'd have had a team working with him. Um, But then the modelling and the ideas behind it seemed to change as they couldn't necessarily get some of those guys. And rather than going for one, one or two sort of big guys with a lot of clout and a lot of responsibility, they decided to actually take their collaborative approach that they're, sort of putting throughout the club and, and what really did for Thomas Tuchel um, and actually implement that into the recruitment and data side too. And they've decided to go for, for what people are now calling more of a think tank um, and a collection of heads and brains who will try and work very collaboratively on it. I, I think within the club, I suspect Macaulay, Shields, Wynne, Stanley will still probably feed into Vivelle uh, when, once he is in post. Um, but it would be very collaborative, very very group-orientated, very much trying to come up with ideas and solutions as a group rather than as an individual. And that is that is v- as far removed as what Chelsea have been in that process as, as can be described, really. I mean, it's, it's almost going for the polar opposite of what Chelsea have had under Roman Abramovich with basically... First of all, in the first incarnation of Roman, Roman pretty much calling the shots. And then in the sort of second incarnation of of Roman, when he wasn't quite so much hands-on, obviously Marina Granovskaya calling the shots. And there wasn't really much of a group dynamic at all to it. That's not to say it was right or wrong. It worked. You'd have to say with all the success, it it, it worked well. But the the Bowley group are going for something completely different.
0: So as we're seeing this evolve, so... You mentioned Vivelle likely to get appointed, if not this week, sometime in the very near future. Uh, When Stanley is another one as well. I I guess as you're looking at the specialists, or you're saying, "Hey, here's why they went after Stewart. Here's why they went after Shields. Here's why they went after Vivelle, Here's why they went after." Like, what are their criteria then for the think tank? Like, who? What are the? What are the reasons why they went after each? Maybe, and then you know who's missing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's a that's a really good question and um it's quite an interesting question i think so if we try and work through them one by one i think we should include kyle mccauley in all this Mm because he's going to be very important and just because he came in as part of sort of graham potter stuff i don't think his his role should be undermined so um kyle mccauley obviously is, is going to be someone that graham specifically works very closely on it closely with i would imagine on on what you would maybe deem his targets and his needs um and the two of them obviously with their relationship will 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 be very tight with that um and Paul Warin Stanley's impending appointment sort of falls within that too although i, I would say Paul and Stanley does outdate um, Graham Potter at Brighton so that they're not just it's not like Kyle who moves around clubs with with Graham um Paul was more of a fixture at Brighton rather than a Graham man, but obviously there's a relationship there. I think Paul's a very interesting guy, though, because he's been part of a Brighton recruitment team that have found value, um, that have found opportunities sort of outside the box and outside the norm, Um, mainly overseas, but also with with Paul's background, you'd imagine that he brings a good knowledge of the sort of English recruitment market and a good, also, relationship uh, with current Premier League technical directors, sporting directors, chief executives. But maybe those guys who are coming from outside the league, I'm sure, have relationships, but maybe not quite so close. So I think Kyle and Paul are very wise appointments because I think bringing everything from the outside in terms of coming all from a different league or all from a different country would be difficult. I think if everyone came in, who had no relationship with Graham at all. I think that could be difficult for Graham. So I do see that those two produce, provide support for Graham very much and also uh, a good knowledge of the sort of league and environment they're coming into. Christopher Vivell obviously has the multi-club knowledge, but I think he's going to be more, as I say, a club technical director. But he he's, has experience of sort of managing the elements of a recruitment system around uh, a big club. I mean, Leipzig are still a big club. They're not as big as Chelsea. So I think that's where his skill set maybe comes in more. He will have, uh, I would imagine, more communication with the academy than the other guys because his remit will come into that. He will have more remit on the facilities uh, at Chelsea as well, which, interestingly, when Graham. Potter first got appointed. I think he mentioned that the training ground at Brighton actually has better facilities than the training ground at Chelsea. Um, Cobham is actually starting to look a little bit tired these days. Uh, Incredible place, don't get me wrong, but it it probably needs modernising slightly. I would imagine Christopher Vivell would be heavily involved in that, whereas some of the other guys would be more strictly just on the recruitment, but he will play a big part of the recruitment. He is used to having scouts feeding into him, having recruitment people feeding him processing data, analysing data, taking it forwards. Um, Now, uh, Lawrence Stewart's role is a bit more difficult to fully uh, explain currently because obviously Chelsea currently don't have a multi-club model. (laughs) Um, But he was involved in that at Monaco. Monaco do have interests in several clubs and I know his remit was on that. He's also worked within the FA uh, back in his career, which I think is interesting. So he has more administrative and process experience than, than maybe some of the others i would imagine he will be heavily involved to start with in the uh, purchasing of clubs and the identification of clubs and going about that and then it will be a huge job to actually set them up and set this multi-club model up you know it's not as easy as just buying a club and and then they become the feeder club for chelsea there's a lot of management that needs to go into that and logistical time and that would take up an awful lot of time and I'd imagine that would take up all of his time to start with but I really like the mix I really like the fact that there's people with European experience I like the fact there's people with English experience like I say, I like the fact that there's people linked to Graham I think it's probably good that there's people not linked to Graham as well who can take a a wider view um, and just everything the current manager wants I like the fact there's a the range of experience in there, which brings me on to Joe Shields, who is obviously the youngest of the guys. I think he's only mid 30s. Um, who's had an incredible rise. You know, he, he was sort of within the Manchester City academy recruitment structure. Uh, went to Southampton. Has only been there six months. He's going to have to work out a period of gardening leave, which Paul Winstanley Stanley might actually have to do as well, um, which could delay exactly when they come in um, in terms of starting work, but. Joe's, um, Joe's quality seemed to be in identifying future talent. Um, obviously, he had that role very, very clearly at Manchester City within the academy. And even if you look at Southampton's summer transfer business, I mean, a lot of it came from Man City, which is probably no coincidence. But they focused very heavily on very young players, uh, trying to get players in early who will probably make them a big profit in the future. Uh, Lavia is a good example of that the goalkeeper is an example of that um, and you would imagine um, that again that's something that's going to be a big part of his role within that co-director of recruitment and talent in that you would imagine it will naturally fall that he will look more towards the younger side of that to start with and that Paul Stanley will look at the more senior side of that but um that I'm sure will evolve and develop. But again, multi-club experience within Manchester City. He's obviously been within that recruit, academy recruitment, which I'm assuming has had him involved in where purchasing academy kids in and also where they will then go and play and things like that. It looks a really, good, a really good mix and a really good blend. The big challenge and the big key to how well this works, of course, is it's a lot of people, it's a lot of talent, it's a lot of potential egos, although I can't, you know, I wouldn't want to say for sure that there's sort of egos there, but the potential egos and it's how they all can work collaboratively without letting their own interests um, sort of get on top of that. And that's going to be very interesting.
0: So what does this then mean for the, near-term role that Todd Bowley plays in everything where he has been the facilitator of deals, the eater of meals. He has been the face of Chelsea football club to every individual along with maybe at Bali and uh, Feliciano. What does it look like? Because obviously we're coming up to a winter transfer window. You're probably trying to line up deals very in the very near future. Is Todd still as kind of hands-on with everything, at least for the short term? Uh, Short answer is, yes,
1: I think so. Um, he has clearly quite enjoyed the sporting director role. And I think what's been clear also within this process is that maybe he enjoyed it uh, more than he thought he was going to and actually felt more comfortable with it than he thought he was going to. And therefore, that has also probably had an element of why the plans changed slightly. Um I do still expect in the long term he will step away from it. Maybe not fully, because I don't think any owner steps away from it fully. I think that would be naive. But I think in the short term, he probably will step away from it a little bit more. Um, But I think I would imagine for January and whatever Chelsea do or don't look to do in January, I think he will be very heavily involved in Because you've got to remember, like I said, Joe Shields can't... I know he's been announced by Chelsea, but the announcement did make it clear that he's got to uh, see out a period uh, from his Southampton contract. And I don't quite know at the moment where Paul and Stanley will, will stand on that from his Brighton contract. So that two of the recruitment guys might not be able to work the January transfer window, quite frankly. So I think the January transfer window... And like I said, I think... I, I think um, I think Stuart, Lawrence Stewart will, will be more heavily involved in the multi-club vision. So I think January will revolve a lot around Graham Potter, Kyle McCauley, and Todd Bowley. It's going to be fascinating in the short and long term whether he keeps that interim sporting director title or whether that quietly disappears. But I think short term in January, he'll have to be very involved. Um, and then I think over time... We might see him start to step back a bit, but I, I don't think fully because I just think that would be naive. I don't think any owner steps back fully from transfers, to be quite honest
0: with you. Well, let's take a quick break and then jump into some more conversation, particularly around some of the, the fitness issues. And then we'll end the episode talking about the, again, way too early transfer news conversation because there's still a whole World Cup to play. But uh, we'll be right back after these uh, you know messages from our sponsors. All right, Matt, actually, before we recorded today, we got a little bit of a announcement from Chelsea who helped to give us an update on what's going on with Rhys James and Wesley Fafana, who are taking on a rehabilitation program and going to Dubai for a little bit with a member of the Chelsea medical team accompanying them. Uh, do you have any sense on how their recovery is going? I mean, I think we look at them as post-World Cup returning to the squad and being available and ready for the, the second half of this Premier League season. Um-
1: no, um, because I haven't been around, quite frankly, but also because we, we sort of know the map with them both. You know, like you say, um, both of them, I think, are trying everything they can to try and get to the World Cup with their respective nations. We know they're not going to play for Chelsea before then. I think both of them have got a real struggle on their hands to do that. Maybe Fafana's got a bit more chance than, than Reese. You'd imagine if Reese is going out to Dubai. This is a guess, but you'd imagine he he might be hoping to get that brace off at some point in Dubai if he's he's bothering to go out there. Um, But I I think it's quite interesting, actually, because Chelsea never used to really comment on injuries at all. And I do find it interesting that, uh, I mean, I wrote the story on Saturday night, I think, or Sunday night, shortly before I left for holiday, about Reece James's injury being confirmed as as pretty much eight weeks, making the World Cup very difficult. Um, in about three hours, Chelsea actually released their own statement of that. They didn't used to do that on transfer on injuries. They didn't used to release statements on injuries particularly, um, and they wouldn't usually release an update like this about just informing people that they've gone to Dubai. So, I think they're trying to be a little bit more open on the injuries, which I think is will be appreciated by supporters and I think is a, is a good move. Um, but no, I mean, look, those those two guys are just out for Chelsea now until the World Cup. I can't... Reese obviously clearly really wants to make the World Cup, but, you know, the knee brace having to be on four weeks, you know, it just it doesn't seem feasible to me. He might go as a 26th man in the hope of playing in a semi-final or final if England got that far, but I'm not even convinced that that's a, a great idea for him. But... Yeah, it, it's it's interesting they're taking them to Dubai as well. I mean, lots of lots of lots of teams have sent uh, players off to sort of warm weather places to help their recovery. I can't remember Chelsea doing it that often, actually. I've got to be honest with you. I can't remember uh, players going off to Dubai and things to to help their recovery. Whereas I know, for instance, Harry Kane and people like that have gone over to Barbados and things to to do bits of recovery. I don't remember it as being maybe a, a big Chelsea thing. So that, again, is maybe a new thing with the new medical team. Um, but Chelsea Chelsea are certainly missing them, aren't
0: they? Yeah, uh, not not only them, but obviously cool Bali has been out for a couple of weeks now in terms of or a couple of the last matches being uh, unavailable. And then, obviously, Angola Conte has his ongoing in- injury issue. I mean, it, it seems like... <laughs> Yeah, that there's uh, a little bit of an injury bug back at Chelsea in this part of the season, but maybe not just respective of Chelsea. It seems like the whole condensed schedule has really produced this challenge for every squad to manage through.
1: I was going to say, I mean, a lot of a lot of teams would, would talk about a sort of injury bug as well. I mean, Liverpool have been hit hard, and it's obviously affecting their form a lot. Um, Tot- Tottenham have got away with it quite well. Um, and Arsenal have got away with it quite well. And that, that's obviously... Not that's obviously sort of indicative in where you see those two clubs in the table, but you go through the league. I mean, my team Villa some two similar signings. One's made two appearances, and one made about four appearances, and they're out till the sort of World Cup as well. It's the schedule's been mad, even for those clubs not in Europe. For those in Europe, it's been even madder, even with the large squads. And mm-hmm. I also think, um, and this is a guess because I wouldn't want to cast aspersions on anyone. But I think some of those players now as well who you're seeing out for two or three weeks, you might have found that if the World Cup wasn't playing, they'd be coming back a bit earlier or they'd be playing and risking things. I mean, you you couldn't knock Koulibaly if he was being extra careful with his injury because he is at the stage now where one, one bad reaction or one reoccurrence would put him out of the World Cup with Senegal. And at his age, you'd imagine it's his... It's his last World Cup, but certainly Senegal are hoping, I think, to have quite a good World Cup and certainly his last chance to have a very good World Cup, I'd imagine. So, you know, this will be playing on people's minds. I, I met someone shortly before I went on holiday, I went for coffee, someone who, who had a, a player, um, not a particularly high-profile player, and certainly not a Chelsea player, who's due to go to the World Cup, who said that he was terrified at the moment. He said he was terrified of picking up an injury because all he's wanted to do in his whole career was playing in the World Cup. And it's going to be taking taking a toll and players who might normally try and come back after two weeks would probably take an extra couple of weeks to try and make sure they're okay so yeah it's it's an issue and it's not great for the league really quite frankly but we all knew this with this ridiculous world cup timing so we're all just having to deal with it
0: well it is forcing graham potter to make substitutions to rely on other players and one player who still has not featured a minute for Chelsea yet is Zakaria with his seemingly uh, – it, it feels like he might not be there. He might be a figment of our imagination at this point. But what? what's your sense on – is it a fitness-related issue in terms of getting him back up to speed? Like, you know, Where is, is he at? Or is it more of like a, he's probably not going to feature at this point?
1: I mean, <laughs> that signing was a nonsense, wasn't it? A a complete and utter nonsense. I mean, the guy has said himself that he only really came because Thomas Tuchel wanted him. And yet, at the point that Thomas Tuchel said he really wanted him, um, the club were already thinking about sacking Thomas Tuchel. So I've been very pro-bowley ownership and very positive about a lot of what they're trying to do. But I I have to give them some criticism on this signing because it's a nonsense they should never have signed the guy i feel a bit sorry for the guy it's not his fault that he's not deemed to be good enough or or fit enough for the premier league it's not his fault that the club got rid of the guy who won who was looks like the only guy in the building who wanted him a few days after he he actually joined or a week after he joined it's completely ridiculous they should never have signed him i mean we all thought the abamyang one was odd but abamyang was a clear need for Chelsea's squad. There weren't other traditional number nines to go for. It still made sense to me that Chelsea pushed through with that, regardless of what they were thinking with Thomas Tuchel. There were no magic solutions out there for a number nine. This is completely different. They didn't need him. They do need top quality midfielders, but they didn't need him. They didn't need another sort of style type low. They didn't need someone just to fill the bench. Um, it's quite obvious that he doesn't really fit into what Graham Potter wants to do. It's quite obvious that he's not deemed to be in the best sort of condition for the Premier League to come in and make an instant impact. He may well get a chance on Wednesday. I hope for his sake that he does, because like I said, I actually feel sorry for the guy. And um, it's just idiocy. And these are the kind of signings that you, you help hope the club now now they've got their own proper recruitment team coming in. They're settled with Graham Potter. You would hope now that these kind of things don't happen again.
0: Well, we'll talk about the future signings and what might come for Chelsea in the winter period right after one more break, and we'll get that going now. All right, Matt. So we're seeing, particularly after a loss to Brighton in the fashion that it was, people roll up with a shopping list for Todd Bowley like they're walking up to Santa Claus in uh, in a mall or uh, at this point. And... Do you think or what are you thinking in terms of Chelsea looking to get something done, looking to get some reinforcements in for the winter window? Do you feel like that groundwork is already being laid or are Chelsea still a little behind where they would hope to be? Well,
1: quite frankly, they they can't do a lot unless they're going to sell a lot because you can only have so many people in that squad. And unless you're going to have a lot of players not in the 25 man squad and not able to play any football, then they can't do an awful lot. And I know that managers hate having players around who aren't in the 25-man squad because it creates the worst atmosphere ever having these people hanging around, even if you have to send them to train with the under-23s or whatever. um, It's the worst thing for team spirit and squad harmony and and building the spirit. So um, Graham Potter's not going to want a situation where Chelsea sign three or four and then have three or four in current squads who then can't have a squad number for the second half of the season. So you've got to think about that. Um, I mean, you would imagine Zacharias' loan will be cut short and that will free up a space. And you would have thought, and I don't know this for certain yet, but it's it's an educated guess that they will look whether there's an opportunity to to bring in a midfielder who can actually make more of a mark because they now know that Conte is out for, well, another three months at least and, you know, it could easily turn into the rest of the season, given his injury record and the, the level he's going to have to come back from. You've you've got sort of you've got an obvious sort of need in there, and when you look at where the team falls down, it falls down within that central midfield area so much when Chelsea do have a tough game. Um, and you're going to have players coming back tired from the World Cup one, would imagine, albeit not Jorginho, which is a massive boost uh, for Chelsea. Obviously, not for him and Italy. Um, so good sense would have that they they would look for an opportunity to send Zacharia back and see what they can do midfielder wise um, you would imagine again they will look at the market in terms of whether they can find a deal to, to get rid of Ziyech. Um but Ziyech going might only free up space for Nkuku down the line in the summer, I don't see Nkuku coming in in January, Leipzig is still going to be in the Champions League doesn't strike me that, that that would do anyone that would do Leipzig any favors at all. So I don't I don't see why they would let him go then. Um, but maybe they would look at other things. Do you bring Callum Hudson a back or do you leave him in Leverkusen but like I say you're gonna to have to sell players to do that. And selling players for Chelsea is difficult anyway. And selling them in January is going to be really difficult because of the the money they'll want, the wages that they'll they'll want. Um so it's yeah it's it's not going to be easy to do a lot of business in january i don't think maybe maybe they'll like i say one two i really can't see any more than that i think a lot of it's going to be more focused towards towards
0: next summer on with uh leipzig currently second and if they i think as long as they draw versus shaktar they advance because shaktar beat them in the first match day so there is a possibility to go to europa right but if it And that might have a financial impact for them, but maybe you could tempt them. But I would imagine that they would also want to try to push on within this season and keep keep their players as much as they can, unless it's a ludicrous offer.
1: Yeah, and that whole sort of get and Kunku's contract done last summer seemed to be a a very big commitment to one last season out of him and, and see where he could help take them in that last season. If they drop down to Europa, there'd be a team looking to win the Europa, quite frankly, as a way of getting back into the Champions League as well. Um, I'd I'd be very, very surprised if if anything could happen there. So, yeah. And you've still got to make, like I say, you've still got to make the space. It's a a really full squad, Chelsea's. I mean, again, um, can you make space by loaning anyone out? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, Carney doesn't really create any space because he, he comes under one of the younger players in the squad anyway. You know, he might go somewhere on loan in January to get more some football, um, but that wouldn't really help Chelsea in terms of signing a senior player. So, yeah. I, look, I might be proven completely wrong on this, but I I just don't see a lot of room for manoeuvre for Chelsea in January because I don't see how they would get the sales to allow them squad-wise to uh, to do t- too much with the numbers. I also think as well Graham Potter um, might actually want a season... Don't get me wrong, I'm sure he'd take one or two if he could take one or two, like I say, a midfielder and maybe some another forward player if possible. But um, I think Graham Potter as well working with the squad, he might benefit from a, a full season without too much sort of transition and change within the middle of the season as well.
0: So, maybe let's shift it to the thought around extensions because we have players entering that last year and then obviously january puts them into that pre-contract phase i think probably the two most high you know the highest profile individuals would be angola conte who you already mentioned out maybe has maybe has played his last chelsea game which would be crazy to say probably has at least a few more in him hopefully that we do get a chance to see him uh being the other in terms of two midfielders What's your sense on the type of deal Chelsea want to do and then the player's willingness to accept where Chelsea <laughs> or accept or not accept where Chelsea may be?
1: Well, the only way that Ngalo Kanté will get close to to what he would he would want at Chelsea in terms of both uh the tie, the length of the contract and also the value of the contract would be to accept some sort of heavily incentivized contract, I think now. I can't imagine that Chelsea and again I, I do know a little bit about this. I, I don't think that Chelsea are gonna um make him a huge straight offer of just a, a set amount and a set length of time. Um I do think they'll make him offers, but I think they will be incentivized and it will be very much that he could he could carry on earning an awful lot and and go on for a lot longer, but it would be requirement of of playing a lot. Um to stay at that sort of level. But you would imagine there'll be some sort of European team out there not having to pay a transfer fee who would see it worth the gamble to offer him something a little bit more guaranteed to try and get one of, if not the best, sort of all-round midfielder in the world, um, even sort of taking on the gamble of, of how much he may or may not play. So I think that's really in the balance. I do think Chelsea will try and be creative and try and offer him something, but whether he's prepared to accept that, who knows, quite frankly. And he's he's a very private person. He's not someone who will talk about it a lot to people. So it it could be one that we don't find out too much on until we really get to decision time with him. Um, Jorginho, the fact that he's not going to the World Cup will help Chelsea a little bit. It gives them December to talk to Jorginho. I do think they'll make Jorginho an offer. Um, we know they've sort of talked... Uh, they've talked around figures with him, probably figures that he feels are too low for him. Um, but December gives them a great opportunity with Italy not being at the World Cup to actually get into the nitty-gritty of that. Also, actually, with with N'Golo not going to the World Cup too, I should bring him into that, of course, because he would have been going to the World Cup. So... I think lots of talks will be had with both of those players in December and then Chelsea will sort of know the direction of travel at least come come January when the two of them would be able to talk to foreign clubs. Um, so, yeah, December will be a really, really key month for that. But I think I think offers will be made to both and I think Jorginho will get a sort of straighter offer than N'Golo, and Golo will probably get a very creative offer. And it's sort of how safe he feels with that, really.
0: And then maybe to round it out with the most interesting of the contract renewal or what happens with the player, and maybe this is more a hypothesizing at the moment, but we've seen uh, Kepa come in and, and take the starting position under Graham Potter due to Edwin Mendy having injury, and now Kepa goes down with injury, and Edwin Mendy steps back into the fold. We know Mendy was having contract negotiations, but maybe that wasn't where they wanted to be, and we... Maybe all have thought that Kepa might find a home elsewhere, uh, but seemingly, uh, you know, may go back to being Potter's first choice when he is kind of fully fit here. So, uh, just a really like interesting goalkeeping dynamic to think about for, for Potter and Chelsea.
1: Massive. And it'll be a massive few weeks on the goalkeeper situation for Chelsea because you would imagine that Mendy will start against Zagreb on Wednesday. And then, depending on Kepa's injury situation, which this week might become a little bit clearer. He'll then have a huge decision to make for that Arsenal game, which is a huge game. And then you've got um, Man City and, remind me of the other game, it's a big game, Newcastle away, mm. uh, And that's going to be huge because if, if Mendy comes in for Zagreb and then Kepa basically either gets the two league games or even all three of the other games, then I think that's going to leave Chelsea in a tough spot with Mendy particularly if Mendy then goes off to the World Cup and has a good World Cup with Senegal, um, I think that will leave Chelsea in a very tough spot. So it's a big, big few weeks coming up on the goalkeeping situation. And if it doesn't go Mendy's way, I could well see Mendy coming back from the World Cup really considering a move away from Chelsea. Because um, he, he, his stage of his career, given the couple of years he has, he's not going to be, and on the money he's on, which isn't great money for for sort of the level he's been playing at, Um, he's not going to be thinking of hanging around as a number two, however much he he likes Chelsea and and whatnot. And as I say, if he goes to the World Cup as Chelsea's number two goalkeeper and then has a fantastic World Cup or even just a good World Cup with Senegal, that that could really seal the deal in terms of his future. So huge couple of weeks coming up in that goalkeeping situation, I'd say.
0: Any other... Areas that you're looking to that you think have a, a narrative storyline that you're looking to follow as the players head to the world cup on what that may, might do for their Chelsea future?
1: Uh, well, I've been banging the jump for for Ruben um, the last few weeks. I really, I really think Ruben would be a valuable squad player for, for England to take. I think he would offer the midfield something that we don't have that is proved under Potter and, and slightly before that under Tuchel in that this new sort of role, I know he plays all over the place, but when he's playing in midfield, this ability to take the ball deep and carry it forwards, um, I do actually think that's something England lack. And with Calvin Phillips' injury worries and stuff like that, I think that he would be a really deserving squad member and could possibly even be better than a squad member. And I think uh, that Loftus-Cheek has two years to go on the contract that he signed some, some years ago. Now, I'm not sure... And I need to check on this, actually, whether there's an option within that contract. Um, but certainly, um, Loftus-Cheek's really shown his value to Chelsea, both as in his performances and also the, his versatility and his attitude, quite frankly, of, of carrying on with his Chelsea career. So I do think that they're going to have to start thinking about Loftus-Cheek's contract at, at some stage, even if that turns out that they're just Doing an option, which I'm not sure whether is there or not at the moment, Um, and then of course we have uh, Mason Mount's contract, which negotiations have been going on for quite some time, and it's a little bit more complicated than reese james's contract but I, I fully expect mason mount to sign that contract i'm just not quite sure when yet but they'll be very very keen to get that sorted out too
0: so plenty of work for todd and team left to do and uh, i think the next time we will speak to you matt you will likely be in qatar you'll likely be uh hopefully uh watching uh, the usa team and uh, <laughs> and the uk advance uh through their their group stage um but who knows? It's going to be a very interesting tournament, that's for sure.
1: For sure, yeah. Who knows? Let's uh, let's hope for the best for both teams.
0: There we go. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. we appreciate the time as always, and uh, hope everybody uh, tweeted Matt, let him know you enjoyed this, and wish him safe travels uh, during his time for the World Cup. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know to do: keep a blue flag flying high.